agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. I am really excited about what we're about to do uh, today. It's our first ever listener chosen listener participation segment. And as I said, uh, this is this is a new thing. And who knows how it's going to go. It could be a wild success or a colossal disaster. Either way, I think it might be <laughs> interesting. So uh, are you ready to go? I, I, for one, am, am brimming, brimming with the confidence of a treasury bondholder. <laughs> oh, there you go. Right. So, yeah. All right. So far away. Well, that, well, that's good. All right. So as you probably know, or maybe as you don't know, I don't know, but our topic for this first ever listener chosen listener, listener participation segment is tipping points into civil conflict. And Jay and I are going to be discussing conditions under which partisan may or may not devolve into active conflict, the sort of things that might be helpful in preventing that, and maybe even if it's something we should want to prevent in all cases in the first place, where we think we're right now on this kind of continuum in the United States and what we think about how likely it is that things are going to get worse or better in the near-term future. And right now we have a number of supporters with us in the chat. So that is excellent. And we will be watching comments so we can see what you all are saying and respond to you uh, throughout our discussion. So here we go. Now, I, I thought we would start in a good social science way by defining some terms. I always like to do that. And so, Jay, if, you, if you're OK with a little term definition, we can start there. Yes, I would. I would insist upon it. Okay, yes. well, that's even better. So now I won't impose my definitions on anyone, but to me, here's kind of how I see things: partisanship is just essentially support for a, a party, support for an ideology, and it can range from fairly weak, like I don't know, trace support for the uh, Republican Party at this point. I would say to even homicidally strong. Uh, so, and, and then I take civil conflict to mean something more more serious, kind of a serious, a deep disagreement between two or more groups in a society. And, you know, it doesn't have to be violent, but it can be. And I think whether or not there's actual violence, there's almost always going to be some sort of widespread threats of violence, at least, and, and probably some sporadic acts of violence. And then finally, there's civil war, which is, of course, kind of a wide-scale armed conflict. You've got organized oppositional groups, and one of those groups, at least, is uh, uh, ostensibly in the place of the state. Now, they might not; other group may not see them as a legitimate state, which is the whole point, I would guess. But so, Jay, those are kind of my starting definitions. I wanted to get your take on that. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that that makes sense uh, to me as well. Um, partisanship, I might. I might define a little differently, and this this I guess this isn't so much a, a question of defining partisanship because I think that was correct. But um, what we see going on right now isn't even necessarily partisanship. There's other things going on, right? Um, for example, there are are folks who are, are members of the Republican Party, but there is also a a strong um, you know the the Trumpian populist movement that. Um, 
may or may not be Republican. It sort of sort of attaches itself to the Republican Party at this point, simply because that's where Donald Trump has attached himself. Um, but uh, it doesn't necessarily ideologically attach there. Um, and I think if if Trump detached himself from the Republican Party, that would follow, right? So I'm 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 what I'm saying is I think partisanship could be more widely described as factionalism sure. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, let's let's actually that's a great I think that's a great thing we can look at next is let's talk about what we see as the factions, and and I think there are a number of dividing lines here. Uh, like, for instance, there's kind of a north-south divide in a way, right? But it's really more of a urban-rural uh, divide, white-non-white in a lot of ways, uh, college-educated, non-college-educated divide. At least that that's kind of how maybe you call it even a Trump-non-Trump divide. And, you know, uh, we, have a, we have a comment, you know, if, if Trump detached himself from the Republican Party, w- would it die? I, I, it certainly there's certainly a strong element, right, of support within the Republican Party for Trump, or Trump is lending his support to the party, but it gets a little bit blurry here, I guess. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I, I think that's I think that's right. And and again, what we're talking about when I say factionalism, it, it is sort of there are um these two camps that that folks gravitate towards and all of the um distinctions that you mentioned figure into them. Um and, and, you know, those distinctions may fit, fit into all of, you know, there are certainly some college, college educated Trumpians. Um, uh, there are some, some, uh, uh, you know, rural, uh, progressives. Uh, so I, you know, I think it's, it's not, but, but it's a good shorthand for what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, I guess I see one of the, the biggest divide as the urban rural divide. And you take a look at, for instance, in 2016, uh, Donald Trump received somewhere around 6.3 million more votes than Hillary Clinton in rural counties. And then in 2020, he even did better. He received around 7.1 million more votes than Biden in those countries. So to me, that that's really a, that's really a huge part of it, bigger than the, the, the white black thing, bigger than the college degree, non-college degree thing. Those are all parts of it. But, but essentially, it feels like it feels like urban America versus rural America in a lot of ways, I guess. I think that's I think that's probably the better way to look at it. And the other pieces that you were, you're talking about just sort of uh, tend to correlate with that division. Um so yeah, to pick it up by that handle, I think I think makes sense, um, and and I think I I can, you know, there are two you know competing worldviews that uh, the experience of a lot of urban or let's even say of suburban uh, Americans um, is quite different, has been quite different from those uh, in in rural areas over the last twenty years, um, and it's it's a change that ha- it's happened and happened quickly. Uh, and it's not just a change in in economics, uh, but but there is a a you know sense of different values, uh, a sense of a, a different level of of government. And I'm gonna I'll touch on that in a little bit um, because I've I've actually got some some funny thoughts on that. But um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a correct analysis of at least a big portion of the divide. And I think this makes it a little more. Well, it makes it very different from what we saw in, in our in our last 
civil war, hopefully our only civil war, right? I, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's civil war. Well, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But but yeah. I mean, there's a question here from Bijun, right? Uh, uh, how would everyone physically divide for a civil war to happen? Would all liberals move to the cities? All conservatives move to the rural areas? It's like, well, yeah, it, in, I mean, in 1861, that was less of an issue, right? I mean, there were maybe pockets of, you know, but it was, it was pretty rural. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was pretty geographic. But here, I mean, it, that in a way, I think that's actually on the whole, probably a saving grace in that I think it's you have given that there's kind of pockets here, many, many more pockets as opposed to that kind of strong geographic concentration that maybe makes it, I would argue, a little less likely for some kind of widespread kind of clear split like we saw in 1861, I would think. Oh, I'd say much, much less likely. Um, and also, if you consider, you know, in 1860, you were talking about there was a, um, you know, definitive state ideology. I'm, I'm using state to not United States, but the, uh, the well, I guess I am the United States, but um, right that that it, it was uh, it was not a a um, like the folks in uh, uh, Atlanta uh, were somehow voting differently than the rest of Georgia. Right. right. Yeah. Um, no. They were pretty much on the same page. Exactly. And I think that, that's <laughs> so, pretty important. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and you know, on the same page, not just you know ideologically, culturally, but, but I mean legislatively. Right. This this was an idea, and 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 in, and also in terms of a fundamental view of of the country and what the Constitution meant. Um, you know, so often in in the South, you know, you will to this day still you know encounter people who um, refer to the the late War of Northern Aggression uh, as the, the the war between the states, right? Um, and that's that's distinct from a civil war. Uh, in that a civil war presumes a a single union to begin with. Yeah, and I think having one or just a couple of clear dividing issues makes makes it more like the more kind of easier to kind of rally behind that banner. And right now, it seems to me we're not at we're not at an instance like that. The way I look at it, there are at least at least four. And 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 if you're listening in, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or add on. But it seems to me the four big areas of disagreement between the factions, you've got cultural issues, right? The kind of wokeism sort of thing. You've got kind of in within that, you have individual liberty issues, I'd say reproductive rights, and much less so, I would say economic policies, you know, not not that big of a deal. But those are kind of what I see as the divide, the big divisions between these groups. Am I missing anything here? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I guess maybe an umbrella that goes through them is sort of this uh elitism versus non-elites and i suppose you can i suppose you can kind of that could be a proxy for the, the college education piece um although i think it's i think it's there's something more than that right um there are certainly a lot of college edu educated people who who are non-elite um well so I, I yeah i guess and i won't say that that's wrong because i understand that a lot of folks on the right would define it that way i i, I Almost look at it in a in a way of saying, well, we have this one group of largely white folks who are sort of trying to defend traditional white Judeo Christian rights and values and prerogatives against folks who are I'd, oftentimes. I'd, I'd strike the white from that, but go ahead. I, I mean, well, 
I, I certainly wouldn't. When I take a look at the modern Republican Party, especially Republicans that are elected to, you know, a high office at the federal level, it's it's mostly it's mostly white guys. Right. I mean, the Republican. Right, no, coalition. no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't strike it in saying I wouldn't strike it from that portion of the sentence saying white people, because I think that's that's probably correct. But uh, white values. I mean, I, I would I would argue. Sure. OK. Yeah. 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 yeah OK. I see what you're you saying. know, again, less less government, lower taxes, you know, that sort of thing. I don't consider that to be a quote unquote white no, value. No, no. I, yeah. I, I would think that most people would, would bristle at the idea of there are white values and non-white values. Yeah. Although there are some people who clearly would, that's, that's their thing. Well, no, no, right. But, that's, but that's, the case, that's right. the majority or yeah. minority. Yeah. Extremist type folks. How bad do you think things are current? Let's say we have a scale here. Uh, uh, zero was like happy, happy, joy, joy, minimal partisanship. I don't know. Um, all out civil war. We'll call that a 10. Where do you put us on this scale right now, Jay? Uh, I'd say six. Six. Oh, you know, that's actually kind Maybe of about six where and I'm half. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I said, I think about between six and seven, somewhere in through there, because things are not great, certainly. But, you know, to me, even not even more important, but something that's also important is not just where we're at, but the likelihood of that position changing, whether it's for better or for worse, right? And, and, and to me, well, let's take the pull these things apart. If we take a look at polling data, uh, all kinds of polling data, things look pretty bad. We have we have majorities or near majorities saying that they're concerned about the possibility of violence. Uh, we have, you know, strong majorities. There was this New York Times poll from late last year, 71% of people agreed that democracy is at risk, but only 7% say it's the most important problem facing the country. So it's like, <laughs> right. oh, democracy is a risk, but you know, we got bigger fish to fry. Well, no, I mean, I think that's, I think it's one of those, again, that where I often point to weaknesses in polls, it's one of those yeah. kind of, it's an easy thing to say, yeah. right? Well, it's, it's, along the same lines. Yeah. yeah. Along the same lines. What, I mean, what exactly do you mean by democracy at risk? I mean, you think you're not going to be able to vote next fall? Well, no, nobody thinks that. Yeah. And I think also when the pollsters ask folks, well, do you think that violence is ever justified? And you get these these non-trivial minorities, anywhere from like around 10 percent to 40 percent. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who might say that, but then would, would you actually do it? Well, maybe I would. But when we actually but then again, we actually take a look in. Uh, threats of violence and almost you can call them acts of violence, right? The the guy who was outside of uh, you know uh, Justice uh, was it Justice Kavanaugh's right house uh, and uh, the th threats against the governor of Michigan. I mean, there's an increase in threats, a huge increase in threats against members of Congress, and of course there's January 6th, which was more than just threats, right? And now some people on the right would say they'd call the 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 BLM protests uh, uh, political violence, right? So you take a look at all that and, and it's easy for people to say, well, I don't know, six or seven, maybe we're more like a seven to eight or something like that. Well, what do you think about that? So again, I, I, I take issue. It, sometimes these these polls, I think, are meant to inflame and to generate a, a clickable headline uh, as opposed to, to, you know, to really delve into what, what people think. Um, you know, if you ask me, is political violence ever justified? I would answer absolutely. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I think people would be like, oh, you know, exactly. The, the FBI is listening. I mean, they're, they're writing all this down now. 
Um, but no, I, I would say was was it justified in the in seventeen seventy five? Well, yeah. Uh, is, would political violence be justified in you know say the, the Warsaw Ghetto um, uh, in the the nineteen forties? Absolutely. Um, would political was political violence justified during slavery? Uh, I think there's a strong argument there, right? I mean, John Brown was a nut, right? Yeah, well, but God, yeah. I, I think you could. You know, you can you can say, um, you know, I think there's there's a, a non frivolous case to be made um, uh, for for John Brown or or for even you know like a, a Nat Turner. I mean that that sort of thing. When when um, and I know you know when when people are pushed to a a place where um, they don't have uh, any sort of other you know Democratic slash Republican outlet uh, to change things, where they don't have any type of 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 protection of of uh, fundamental rights, uh, yeah, it does devolve to that point. So that the my my long answer is saying, I think there are a lot of people like me who would say, sure, political violence could be justified. Um, would I would I justify it over? Uh, I didn't get what I wanted in the debt ceiling deal. Well, no, <laughs> I think that's that's the question. The second question is when is it justified? That you know you start to winnow that stuff out. So. But, but I think what I'm saying think, is, yeah. if things could work, could could look uh, worse than they are. And there's there's always someone will always be able to point to, if we don't do this, people will die. Right? There's always that that thing of of somehow then everything's going to be justified. So. Well, you know, and I, I think uh, Urgicles has a has a point here. You said some politicians are using this rhetoric, uh, and he, uh, arguably, and I would say, especially Republicans toward Democrats, right? And I think that's true because uh, while I agree with you that yes, there are conditions under which you know sometimes uh, you need to refresh the tree of liberty, right, with the blood of patriots and yeah. tyrants, that sort of yeah. thing. And my God, it blood you of know, tyrants. You know how it pains me to. Uh, you know how it pains me to quote Jefferson, uh, but I mean, you could find the same the same sentiments in the Declaration of Independence. And uh, though it, it seems to me that 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 point is right, that you can there's a scenario there, there's a there's a worldview right now with, I would say, a non-trivial percentage of Americans who are inflamed by the Tucker Carlson's and the far right voice, voices in that saying, that, hey, the election was stolen. And the federal government is run by a corrupt deep state. And so therefore, what are you going to do? Well, join the Proud Boys and and get involved and and storm the Capitol. And there are more than a few people who believe that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and then you have, like, as as Alex points out here, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts. And these people are either nuts or, and I think this is far more likely, they know exactly what they're doing and they know there's a lot of money and power to be gained by by encouraging this sort of thing. And, and to me, those people are, I cannot think of more unpatriotic Americans than those folks who wrap themselves in the mantle of sham patriotism to for fundraising purposes. It makes me, it makes me almost physically ill. So I'm, I would take a, and again, this isn't anything I have any actual knowledge on, right? But this is just my my supposition that a lot of th- those two aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, you can be absolutely nuts uh, and 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 believe sort of this this conspiracy theory, and also realize, uh, hey, it's really good for fundraising. Um, there's often a, a happy coincidence uh, in those sort of things, and it kind of reinforces it, itself, right? 
um, my my uh, my conspiracy theory must be right. Otherwise, uh, I wouldn't have much so much support. Um, so I yeah I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't I'm I'm um, I'm I'm paying uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and and some of those others sort of the um, the compliment of saying I I, I don't think she's uh, I think she's truly nuts and and not just uh, a <laughs> sham patriot. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, move it if we move but, into but, uh, something else. I, I I would add though is. It, it and this is you know a piece for me as you know I I'm a big look at the historical perspective piece and and also so when I come up with my six point five you know or so um, I I'm thinking compared to what right yeah no yeah and, no, and absolutely. I think we, we we sort of uh, you and I and and most of our listeners um, really grew up in a period of fairly tame politics. Um, uh, you had mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago um, the the bombings of of the 1960s and 70s. Um, you know, when you compare political violence, uh, you know, the storming the Capitol was uh, was horrible, but compared to I don't know how many you know mail bombs, right, of, of the 1970s. Yeah, to um, to kind of give you compared a, to yeah, some for some assassination context, yeah. of RFK and Martin Luther King and that sort of thing. Yeah, right? I mean, right now. Uh, according to FBI stats, they're av- we're averaging around for the last decade or so, averaging around 200 or so domestic terrorism incidents. Uh, now that's like way lower than that's less than in the mid 70s to the mid 80s. Actually, it was over double that. Now that's just a rough, you know, what 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 constitutes. But the point being is, and that's and why part I, of it also is the, the the ubiquity of it in terms of you're able to see it all now immediately real time, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it sort of it was exactly. sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some 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 nut, some nut vandalizes a post office, uh, you know, in in rural Montana, and everybody sees it all of a sudden. And aha, it's domestic terrorism. Whereas uh, 30 years ago, it would have been you know maybe made the local news and, and that's it. So I think that that some sometimes the sense of this is different. And also again looking back. Not just the 1970s, uh, 1960s, but you know, take a look at the 1920s and 30s. Um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, you know the, the socialist uh, upheavals and, and labor riots and so forth. Uh, you know, you go back further, and then you, you got a real civil war. You've got you know lynchings in the South. Um, uh, you know, you know, sort of, I don't want to say standard, but 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 not certainly not uncommon. You know, going back from the I mean, my, in, in the 19, you know, keep in mind, the 1920s, the, the Ku Klux Klan had, had a tremendous march on Washington. Um, they're all there in the, the hoods and the cloaks and the burning crosses. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got they've got members of Congress and, and uh, Supreme Court justices looking out the window, giving them the thumbs up. Um, you know, so I, that's, that's why I'm saying when I when I say, you know, compared to what? Yeah, um, no, and I think we've seen it from we've seen it from both sides, right? Now I think it's much more, uh, you know, that kind of uh, take back America, white nationalist sort of thing, as Alex points out. But in the past, we've seen it from the left or on very far right and the the KKK and all that. So, but 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 to me, I think that why we're very unlikely to move into some sort of civil war, destruction of democracy thing is, is and I thought about this a lot because. I actually I've taught a class a, a number of times on uh, on freedom and 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 civil rights and there's a there's a theory called system justification theory and basically this is a thing from the far left Jay you, you, you won't hate it 
that, but it's this idea of why don't people, because there are a lot of folks on the left for, forever who said, why is it that we don't break the chains of our oppressors sort of thing, right? And there are a lot of folks giving that a lot of thought. And they basically come up with kind of five main reasons. Uh, number one, there are some people who just don't see the system as illegitimate, right? Uh, and maybe that's because of false consciousness or something else, but they just say right. that. I suppose that's me raising my hand right now. I would say, absolutely, there's, there's plenty of false consciousness there. But or you can see the system as illegitimate, but you're like, you know what? It's working for me. So, yeah, it's really too bad. Thank God I'm a white male, you know, and I'm not going to rock the boat. Uh, or you can just say, you know, I, I, I'm just not angry enough. You don't get worked up enough or you feel you have too much to lose. Or finally, you think, well, well what can I do? How can I make a difference? And you combine all these things together. And it turns out it's really difficult to get a critical mass of people to kind of band together and rise up and in really kind of concerted, the kind of concerted action you would need for a civil war. And that's why I think, yeah, we're at six, seven or so, but honestly, I don't see us moving into eight or nine. That's kind of where I'm at. We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com, and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.